welcome back to the Boneyard Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jared Chaffin, along with Artemis Brower. We're coming to you this week with, guess what, Artie? Episode 30. The Big 3-0. Have we hit 30? Wow. This, this is 30. It, it doesn't feel like it, man. <laughs> uh, it really doesn't. This is it, this is flown by. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, we've, we got two games under our belt. Um, it's been... Sadly... There's been there's been uh, much to be desired looking at ECU's uh, ECU's football um, record right now, but but we're gonna dive into that a little bit in the in this podcast. So um, yeah, Artie, uh, first before we jump into everything, I want to announce who our who our guest is. Our guest this week is Will Turner. He's from Twenty Four Seven Sports, just like Stephen Igo, but he covers the USF Bulls down in Tampa, Florida. Um, we had we had a great conversation with him earlier in the week, and uh, I, I think that you all, the listeners, will enjoy that, and uh, will will appreciate some of the things that he had to say about this ECU football team. But Artie, looking looking ahead and looking at USF, ECU goes into Tampa. Uh, they're going they're going down there um, to play on Saturday, a seven p.m. kick. Going to be on ESPN yep. Plus. Uh, not not the not the seven p.m. Uh, slot that we were hoping to get, but when you have the two bottom teams in the American Athletic Conference, this is the this is what you get. That's what you get. You can't, you know, beggars can't be choosers. No, that that that's, that, I mean, that's right. You you can't. If he's one of these teams, will have to. The good thing is one of these teams has to win this game, right? Um, mm-hmm. So somebody is going to come out of this game being. Uh, one and one in conference play, and one one of these teams is going to come out being zero and two in conference play, and we're hoping that the Pirates are the team that comes out on the better half. But Artie, I want to look. I want to look at USF. Okay, USF. Do they have a weaker offense than East Carolina? Surely not. Is that possible? I mean, I, I I don't I don't really know too much about USF's offense. I haven't really followed them in the first two weeks. Um, I do know I I think they have a more of an advantage than than we do because they've already played a Notre Dame and a Cincinnati. So there's not going to be any fear in their hearts when they go up against a defense that's given up 50 back to back in in two weeks. Um, this is an offense that should come out and not fear anybody on the ECU side of the ball. Uh, with that being said, that we still have a job to do, uh, but you know, I think they have an advantage because they've already played two top 15 teams, one being a top 10 team. But so, so ECU has played one top 15 team, and they, I mean, they scored more points in that game than USF has scored against Notre Dame and Cincinnati combined. Yeah, but I, I, I think Notre Dame and Cincinnati are far better teams than UCF at this point in the season. Really? Wow. I, I, I don't know if I would agree with that. I think UCF uh, is a still a very good team, even though they lost to Tulsa last week. No, I'm not saying they're not good. They're just not better than Notre Dame or Cincinnati. Wow. Okay. I, I don't. I don't know if I agree with the with the take on Cincinnati. I'm not completely sold on them just yet. They're a good football team, but I know that it's going to come down to those two at, at the end of the season. But yeah, I. I mean, I think that UCF, uh, USF. Excuse me. I mean, I honestly, I think they have a weaker offense than ECU. They've had they trouble. They, they have a 
they have I mean they have a tougher time with that quarterback situation. Talking about that, they've got four quarterbacks and they have no idea really what's going to happen. They just basically know that they're going to play almost all four. They're going to at least play two or three this week. That that's a that's a cold hard fact. We know we're going to see multiple quarterbacks in this game. I'd like to know what the over under is on how many quarterbacks will throw a pass in this game down in Tampa this weekend because USF they they came out they talked about it all week. We're going to have multiple quarterbacks playing that role this week. Um, but but number one, I mean, Jordan, Jordan McLeod, I mean, he, he's the redshirt sophomore. Uh, he threw three interceptions last week against Cincinnati. Um, but they're moving up the number four on the depth chart from last week to number two. That's uh, I believe that's UNC transfer Cade Fortin. Um, he, he'll, he'll be the, in the number two slot this week, but I, this is an offense that threw five interceptions last week. I'm not saying ECU is ECU's defense is Cincinnati, but they still threw three or five interceptions last week. After they had two weeks to prepare, and that's what their coach said they did all for those two weeks was to just practice throwing the ball. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think USF is an offense still trying to figure themselves out. Um, anytime you have a situation where you're going to be playing more than two quarterbacks, I, to me, that's kind of messy. Um, you know, why do you have an offense where you need to play three, four quarterbacks? Um, there should be a single, you know, right. one single, you know, on-field play caller. Maybe bring in like a wildcat guy or, you know, a, a speedster that kind of gives you a different kind of variable off the edge. But, you know, to, to say that they're going to have three guys in a rotation at the quarterback position – kind of speaks to how shaky their offense is to start the season. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's my point. I mean, I – sorry, I'm trying to get adjusted. Uh, we're, we're trying to figure out this whole thing, doing it all on Zoom. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that looking at it, ECU, they have that stability, right? They have that stability on offense. They, they know – everybody knows their role. The, mm-hmm. the one thing that we don't know – is how is ECU's front going to line up against that defensive front from USF? I mean, that's 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 the question, right? I mean, we've got we've got play uh, you know playmakers. We've got guys on the outside that can that can go up and, and and grab a ball just against you know against pretty much anybody. We've still got you know I know Demetrius Mooney is still out, um, but we still got two running backs in Penix, um, and 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 I'm drawing a blank on another running back right now. Chase but Hayden, they can, you know, Roger and, yeah, and, 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 and Hayden. Um, so, I mean, it's not like we don't have playmakers, but if you don't have an O-line that is going to actually give the quarterback more than two seconds to, you know, get the ball out of his hands, it really doesn't matter. So the O-line has got to step up. We, they, they, they've got to be able to protect uh, Houghton back there in the, uh, in, in the backfield. And then at the same time, there's a lot of indecision from Houghton's part last week. There was times where it looked like he wanted to throw, then he wanted to run, and then he went for you know went out to run. He was like, "Oh no, maybe I should have passed." We we can't have that indecisiveness going into this week. Um, this is a great opportunity for us to get back on track against a team that is trying to figure themselves out. And the offense, you know, this is putting up or shut up time. It's week three. We didn't score a single touchdown last week. Um, that can't happen again in back to back weeks. We have it to go out and we have this to. Won't, that won't happen again. Honestly, Georgia State's a better team than USF. 
looking yeah, at it yeah. on paper, Georgia State's a better team than USF. Yes, they are. Um, but the fact that we didn't score a single touchdown last week is still no excuse. We got to we got to go out and be better. Um, yeah. And and we should do that this week. I, I think that this this will be a team. You're going to see this run game really come take hold for ECU this weekend. Um, we saw it against UCF, a team that hasn't been able to stop the run. This ECU is playing another team in, in South Florida this weekend that so far this season has not been able to stop the run, giving up over, I believe, over 200 yards rushing in each of their first three contests, even against the Citadel. They, they gave up over 200 ru- yards rushing. So if ECU can get that, that rush offense going, that'll hopefully open up the play down downfield and, and ECU can hit some big plays and really separate on offense. Um, cream will rise to the top. No, I, I will say the one thing that has pleasantly surprised me about our offense is that we've dominated time of possession. Usually when you have a team that dominates time of possession, they win those games, you know, pretty handedly. Um, but the thing is, we're not cashing in. And so, you know, last week we actually, you know, we owned time of possession against Georgia State. We were able to move the sticks, but we get into the red zone and we'd stall or we'd make a bad play or we'd have a turnover. So, you know, time of possession is key, but we had to be able to cash in on that as well. I didn't, and I didn't know that until I looked that up earlier today that ECU had actually dominated both in the UCF game and in the Georgia State game. They own the time of possession. Yeah, that's that's not hard to do though. Sometimes when you when the opponent's offense scores in less than a minute and thirty seconds. Yeah, that's very true. So, um, but now that we've talked a little bit about offense, I want to talk about a little bit about the defense. Um, really, I mean. I think that defensively ECU matches up well with with uh, USF, but I also think that um, this this game is going to be a defensive game. It's going to come down to the defense. Defense will win ball games in this game. Raymond in Raymond James Stadium, this game will be. It'll come down to defense. Good defense will win this ball game. What do you say, Artie? Um, I, I think the key for us on defense, um, can we stop either the pass or the run? Um, the first two weeks, Georgia State and UCF, they did whatever they wanted to in the run game. They did whatever they wanted to in the pass game. We are not going as a unit. I don't see us stopping both, but can we stop one? Can we limit one? Can we, you know, hold their rushing attack, you know, and, and limit some of the big plays they make down the field? Or can we hold their passing attack? And, and limit some of the rushing that they that they make in you know down down the field. That to me that's a that's a big key number one. Um, you know number two, keeping them under thirty points. I think if we can keep them you know under 25, 30, I mean like I said we've given up fifty the last two weeks. So for me a big key is can we at least keep a team under thirty points if our offense gets rolling, um, which you know they they should. I you know I I, I think this is going to be a thirty one twenty seven kind of game. I don't really see it as a defensive struggle like you do. Um, I think there's going to be some points scored. Now it might be garbage points late, or the offense might find it. You know, late in the in the second half. You know, I could see it being a defensive struggle in the first half. Um, but as a defense, if we can keep them under thirty, and then you know picking up where we left off last week, if we can have some interceptions, maybe have a forced fumble, have tackles for loss. I'd love to see a couple of sacks. Um, you know, really just agitating that offense, getting in the backfield and making it really difficult for whoever the quarterback is that they have out there at the time. I think that's going to be key for us on defense. Yeah, and I I, I wholeheartedly agree. 
But Artie, um, I think now would be a good time. Let's send it over to our interview with Will Turner from USF 24-7 Bulls. Let's do it. So this week's guest, he's uh, he, he's he's coming from twenty four seven sports, but he's not Stephen Igo, a two time guest. He's a new friend of the podcast. He's been covering the University of South Florida Bulls for the last three years, two years with twenty four seven. Our guest this week is Will Turner. Will, how's it going, man? It's going well over here in sunny Florida. Hope you guys are doing well. Yeah, it's a, I'm sure it's a little chillier oh, yeah. here and and. North Carolina than it is down in uh, Tampa Bay. But um, first things first, I, I just wanted to kind of ask how how's everything going? I know that I know that y'all just got a, a championship uh, down there in, in the last week or so. Yeah, the uh, Lightning obviously uh, decided not to choke this year, and they decided to actually <laughs> win the Stanley. Decided to win the Stanley Cup championship. So uh, yeah, the city is uh, is a buzz. Obviously, Tom Brady being in the Bay gives the Bucks some hope, and the Rays are in the playoffs. So uh, it's kind of a big party down in Tampa Bay right now. It's pretty cool. Yeah, you, you don't really think no. about Tampa Bay being like your big sports city, but right now they are. Right now they're at the forefront of everything. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. To, it's really it's it's just wild to see, you know, because obviously Boston is is a huge sports hub in New York and. Yeah, you wouldn't expect Tampa to be at the forefront of the sports world, but here we are. Yeah, so um, I want uh, we'll jump right into to US. Uh, USF has a first year head coach right now, um, by the name of Jeff Scott, former offensive coordinator at Clemson. He takes over for Charlie Strong. Can you tell us a little bit about how that transition's been going? So Jeff Scott took the job in December and. It took him probably about two weeks to get his staff put together just because of um, obviously Jeff was was having to go back to Clemson uh, to try and get the Tigers to a national championship. Obviously, they reached the national championship game and lost to generational quarterback in Joe Burrow. But um, Jeff uh, was kind of balancing his time between USF and, and, and Clemson, trying to figure out what what he wanted to do with his staff, put together a guy, uh, a good group of coaches. Um, I think that was wrapped up by the first week of January. I think they had everything put together. Um, and then from there, he went back to Clemson, focused on the Tigers for, for a couple of weeks until that run was over. And then really just got to work on the recruiting trail. As soon as he got back from, from Clemson, he just focused on recruiting, hit recruiting hard. Um, try to salvage the class that saw, you know, 14 or 15 decommitments. I think it was when it was all said and done after Charlie Strong left and try to just put the class back together. And then, of course, obviously, you know, you move into March, they get one day of spring practice before it's all shut down due to the pandemic. And then everybody's doing everything from home, just like, you know, Mike Houston and ECU doing everything from home. So, uh, the biggest thing for them was just trying to figure out, you know, how they were going to do this whole thing, how they were going to have a first year coaching staff with, you know, a bunch of zoom meetings and trying to figure out personnel and trying to figure out what worked from last year and what didn't. 
and uh, went through the whole uh, the summer months, was finally able to work out in July. And, uh, you know, it's been from there, August, fall camp started. They got shut down um, against uh, the Florida Atlantic week. So not this past weekend, but the weekend before that, uh, they had to postpone a couple days. Uh, but the overall transition has been good for the most part. Um, there's been a renewed sense of energy in, in, in the Bay regarding USF football. Uh, Jeff Scott has been huge on the United front. Uh, he said it during his introductory press conference. You know, we want to be united from start to finish. Uh, so he's been very, he's hammered that point time and time again. And they're just trying to get better right now. You know, they're one and two. But they're just looking to get better, and that's the attitude that they're coming with. So uh, when, in terms of attitude, the transition has been a lot better. Yeah, and, and, and Will, you know, much like ECU, you know, USF has kind of been down, uh, you know, the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, over the last 20 years, the programs themselves have kind of been up and down. Uh, what do you think it's going to take to kind of, you know, stay consistent recruiting. I uh, think as, as a program? You build down your team through recruiting, you know, and that's just the way that it that's just the way that college football works. And especially in I'm sure you all are aware of this as a as an American conference school. In order to build a successful American conference program, you have to do it through recruiting. You know, SMU is a little bit of an anomaly with the amount of you know mm-hmm. transfers that they brought in last year to be successful. But if you look at how Cincinnati built, um, you know, kind of what they've done, you look at what Memphis has done, you look at what UCF has done, they've all built their programs through recruiting. So I think a couple of good recruiting classes is going to take what it, you know, uh, is going to build it back up. But obviously you bring in some impact guys in the portal. Um, but you just get better. You just have to – Get bigger in the weight room. Obviously, size has been something that USF has had to deal with, um, and the lack of it, especially on a defensive front. But uh, you know, just getting bigger, getting better in recruiting, recruiting better players. Um, you know, maybe get an occasional four-star like Cincinnati's done. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of the way you build this program back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Will, I wanted to ask a little bit. Got you. We, we, we we talk a little bit about their their um, record being one and two. Uh, that two of those those two losses came against high powered opponents. Those two losses came against the Fighting Irish in Notre Dame, and then you like you said the University of Cincinnati. Uh, what what were some of your takeaways from those two games? Um, I think kind of the first takeaway is that the offense isn't where it needs to be. I mean, you scored seven points in, in, in the last two games between Notre Dame and Cincinnati. Uh, you know, obviously, Notre Dame is a college football playoff contender. Obviously, Cincinnati is a conference championship favorite right now in the American Conference. So you played two really good ball clubs, but just the offensive production has not been where it needs to be. And that goes with quarterback play, which I'm sure we'll talk more than enough about. But quarterback play, the wide receivers haven't um, have have continued that dip in production that you saw last year. Um, and then I think the main thing, the other main takeaway that I've looked at is the defense has been really good. Um, they only gave up 21 points to a very good Cincinnati club. The other seven was a kick return for a touchdown. Uh, they lead the nation in passing yards 
against per game. Their secondary is strong like it has been the last couple of seasons. And I think one of the other things that's really helped that team uh, develop has been the discipline. USF was one of the most penalized teams in 2019. They are tied for ninth in the NCAA in fewest penalties per game. And I think the stark contrast and just, you know, well, the discipline alone has really helped them not give up as many yards. Granted, you know, one and two after two games, you played two top 15 teams. You know, you're going to be one and two on paper. But uh, I think there were definitely some good things that you could take away uh, defensively uh, from those, from especially the Cincinnati game. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, got you, got you. Now. No, I was I was just gonna say, you know, getting getting to this weekend's matchup, you know, obviously ECU's not, you know, they're they're no juggernaut, you know, we're not Notre Dame or or, or Cincinnati, but what are some of your keys to the game for this uh, weekend? I think the big matchup? thing for me is uh, you got to contain Holt Nailers. Uh, he's he's obviously you know maybe not one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the conference, but he's one of the better quarterbacks in the conference, and you know, obviously last year. Um, I think USF picked him off uh, once last year. And I think the biggest thing for USF is they're going to have to create turnovers. They're going to have to get him uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, he threw the ball 50 times against Georgia State last weekend, three interceptions. You know, he's capable of being rattled. And I think that starts up front for USF because their their defensive front got Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. Uh, rattled last week. It was the first time in Desmond's three-year starting career that he threw three interceptions in a game. So I think that USF is going to have to bring pressure from the start, from the very first play. And I think if they could get Holton uh, a little rattled, they'll have some success. Um, On the other side of the ball, USF has got to stop the run. You know, I mentioned that they're number one in the country and against the pass, but they're 67th out of 74 teams that are playing this fall against the run. And that's not going to balance it. That doesn't balance it out very well. Um, Cincinnati rushed for 189 yards on 45 attempts. The Citadel ran for 250. Uh, Notre Dame ran for 250. Um, when you look at the kind of yardage that USF is giving up in the run game, it's it's not good. But what teams are doing against USF is that they're seeing that they can't stop the run. They're seeing that they're smaller up front and they're, you know, running everybody they got um, as a result. So, um, you know, I think for ECU, you know, the play calling is going to be run it down USF's throat until until they can stop it. Um you know, and I think for USF, you've got to put more guys in the box. You've got to be able to 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 stack the line of scrimmage to get off the field on third downs and and limit the big plays. I think if USF can limit the big plays um, that ECU is capable of making at times, uh, they'll have a good shot to win. Yeah, and that that kind of leads. I wanted to ask you more about the USF defensive scheme. I know with a new staff, a lot of times comes a new defensive scheme can you can you tell us a little bit what what we're what we should expect for Saturday night's game USF's defensive scheme relies a lot on turnovers um I think USF has seven so far in their first three games uh obviously I mentioned they had three interceptions on Desmond Ritter uh last weekend it's a it's a defense that it's almost high risk high reward kind of um you know they do a lot of uh 
they do a lot of pressing at the line of scrimmage. They've got two very good press corners in in KJ Sales and Mike Hampton. So, you know, those two guys are very good. Very fast physical defense. They're able to get the sideline to sideline stuff pretty well. Um, It's just the inside, the mesh, the inside zone that they've had trouble with. Um, You'll see a lot of 3-4 looks, but you also see a lot of you also see a lot of four three looks. It's pretty. Um, it's pretty. They, you know, when when USF when teams say they run a multiple scheme, it's typically one thing. USF kind of has ran more of a multiple look. Um, you know, they're not afraid to throw five DBs in there. They're not a thro- afraid to throw six DBs in there. Um, you know, they they rely heavily on the star position, uh, which is that that hybrid safety outside linebacker position. Um, you know, they've got two guys in Vince Davis and Mac Harris that can run that position very, very well. Um, but I think the biggest thing with USF defense, with USF's defense is that just that they rely on turnovers. They rely on those high energy plays to keep them going um, on every single drive. Got you. Got you. Now, coming into this season, you know, ECU's offense was supposed to be high powered. Uh, the defense is obviously in a rebuild, uh, but, you know, the first couple of weeks we haven't really shown that. We have a great opportunity to get back on track this week. Do you see this game being more of a offensive shootout or a defensive struggle? That's a that's a great question because, like, both teams haven't been very, very, very good offensively. Um, yeah, because I know ECU didn't score an offensive touchdown against uh, – against, so – when I look at that and I see that ECU didn't score an offensive touchdown against Georgia State, but they put they, they still put 29 points on the yeah. board. You know, it's not like ECU is is going to yeah. be held scoreless here. Um, you know, I I guess it, it, and, and this is kind of what I'm saying for USF. Until USF shows that they can s- consistently score, which I mean, anybody that looks at the last two games, they can't. Um, until USF could show that they consistent, they could consistently put points on a board, it's going to be a defensive struggle. They're going to put teams in these low-scoring games. Take the Notre mm-hmm. Dame game out as an anomaly. Um, you know, the Citadel, or the Citadel mm-hmm. you know, 27-6. Cincinnati, 21-7 before a kick return. Um, I think it's a defensive struggle. I... I, I I think that USF's defense is going to keep them in the game. Obviously, ECU blitzes a lot. Um, so, and the USF offensive line is, mm-hmm. is, is, is a little shaky. They've had some guys out due to COVID protocols. Um, so, with their offensive line being a little bit shaky, that means the pass game is even more shaky, and especially when you're blitzing eight guys play. Um, you know, I think the USF offensive line is going to have a tough task ahead of them, and I think the offense struggles again until they just could show people that they can score, that they can score points. So I think a defensive struggle, um, you know, but ECU is capable of scoring points even when their offense isn't isn't doing it. Yeah, and that that kind of leads into one of my questions or one of my uh, thoughts, uh, Coach Jeff Scott. After the game against Cincinnati on Saturday, he, he said, we spent the last two weeks practicing throwing the ball, and we threw it to the other team five times. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what the QB situation is right now? <laughs> um, in, two, in, in, in three words, four words maybe, it's a hot mess. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> um, so... 
USF traveled five quarterbacks with them to Cincinnati, and they played three. And wow. yeah, <laughs> right. That's what I said. I saw four come out of the locker room originally. And then I see the fifth kind of walk up, and I see the fifth okay. walk up, and I'm like, no way they traveled five quarterbacks. I guess you could get away with it because you're, you know, other positions are unavailable, whatever. But you traveled five quarterbacks, you played for three, you brought two freshmen. So Travis Marsh was actually supposed to start for the Florida Atlantic game before that got postponed, the true freshman out of Miami. He was supposed to get the start. Cade Fortin and the transfer from North Carolina was supposed to back him up. Fortin was going to be available last last week after not being available for the first two. Um, they were going to go in there. They're going to start a true freshman, and they were just going to figure out the chips where they may lay. Well, obviously, Florida Atlantic secondary and Cincinnati secondary are two completely different animals. Even though Florida Atlantic is has has you know. Uh, they've been ranked at the top of, of, of getting turnovers, of getting interceptions, but they lost a couple of guys. Cincinnati didn't lose those guys. Cincinnati's got a very good secondary. So when you put a true freshman against the Cincinnati secondary that ranks the top in a conference, it's not going to go very well. And you could write off a couple of those mistakes and a couple of those interceptions that he made as freshman mistakes. And, you know, a couple of one of those interceptions that Marsh threw was just a a great play made by um, an ECU or excuse me, a Cincinnati uh, defensive back. Now, Jordan McLeod will get the start this week. We've confirmed it. We had it confirmed last night. Um, and then USF placed it on their depth chart this afternoon before Jeff Scott's press conference. Jordan McLeod will get the start. That's the same quarterback that East Carolina fans saw last year in Greenville um, for the first half of that game before Kirk Reigel uh, came in in the second half. Now, during that game against East Carolina in Greenville last year, McLeod was battling some injuries. He had a stinger in his shoulder. He was dealing with the wrist issue, if I remember correctly. Um, that was a big controversy of last year. Was Jordan McLeod healthy or was he not? This year he's healthy. So he had the best drives of the season so far against Cincinnati. He had two really, really good drives. The first ended on a fourth and two um, that a tight end just couldn't stretch the extra yard um, down in the red zone. And then the second drive, uh, they actually needed a trick play. Uh, to get a fourth down conversion and extend the drive. Uh, but McLeod led the two best drives of the season so far, in my opinion. Now, Kate Fortin should get some time. Um, USF is going gonna, is gonna to play multiple quarterbacks. Uh, Jeff Scott has said they're going to play multiple quarterbacks. So I think Kate Fortin comes in right after – uh, Jordan McLeod comes in if things go south with Jordan McLeod. I think they're going to run Jordan McLeod as long as they can, but as soon as he starts not, as soon as he doesn't look good, I think they're going to move to to Fortin or Marsh. Now, the wild card in all of this, Noah Johnson, a local guy, came back from Alcorn State, was a SWAC uh, Offensive Player of the Year at Alcorn State. Great talent, very good runner, uh, was a top five HB, HBCU player in 2018. Loved the dude, local kid, a lot of people rooting for him. He didn't get a single snap at Cincinnati. Um, 
he came in down 28 to nothing against Notre Dame when the majority of his wide receivers were checked out. The game was already kind of in hand. And he just hasn't gotten the opportunities. And I'm intrigued to see if Jeff Scott will play him this week. We'll find out a little bit more about that whole situation, you know, today uh, or this afternoon from what I understand. But, uh, you know, Noah Johnson coming in would be a nice little change of pace. He's a lot better runner than any of the other, other quarterbacks the USF has. He's a lot more established as a starter. Obviously, he took he's a, he was a SWAC O player of the year, took Alcorn State to the Celebration Bowl in 2018 he knows what he's doing he knows how to play uh he knows how to run an offense he knows how to manage a game i want to see him play against dcu will it happen who knows because you really don't know which quarterback's coming in from series to series so yeah it's a hot mess uh we'll hope that ecu allows some clarity for it but uh until then it's uh it's kind of a, a big fog right now Got you, got you. Now, Jared and I, we, we, we talk about this all the time, and it's a, a, a timetable for success for our programs. You know, Mike Houston is still very early in his tenure at ECU, and, you know, we talk, you know, two to three years, this team should really be cooking and be hot in the American. What's a timetable for USF uh, to really be competitive in the American again? I think three to four years. I think if they can build their classes during the um, – I think they can build their classes – uh, through getting local kids, getting through the Tampa Bay area. They have more kids um, already committed from the Tampa Bay area than the last two classes under Charlie Strong combined. They have more kids from the state of Florida. Um, they're doing their recruiting within state lines. They're creating good relationships with head coaches um, around the state, which is a great thing to see after what I heard from the last staff. Um but I think three to four years is probably an appropriate timeline. I think that, you know, I think that the quarterback of the future ultimately lies in one of the two guys that USF brought in with their 2020 recruiting class, whether it's Travis Marsh or whether it's Jordan Smith. Both of them will mm-hmm. get five years because of the free eligibility year that this that this is. So I think that one of those guys eventually down the line will be the quarterback of the future. There's also a kid that they've got that's coming down the line named Timmy McLean. He's out of uh, Sanford Seminole, which is near Orlando. Very highly touted dual threat quarterback prospect. I think he's ranked number one or number two in the state as a dual threat quarterback prospect. I think he's going to be very good down the line. He could be a guy that you see that could make an instant impact. Lefty quarterback. Um, could throw the ball all over the field, got some good wheels. He's coming down the pipeline. Very similar to to, uh, to Walter Simmons that ECU has on their uh, 2020 commitment sheet uh, or 2021 commitment sheet. Um, yeah. So very similar to Walter Simmons. Um, you know, so I think there are some guys at the quarterback spot coming down the line. When you look at the defensive side, they just got to get bigger. That's That's bottom line. Um, and I think if they get bigger, they get, recruit some bigger guys. Um, they get those guys a full season of off-season workouts as opposed to doing everything from home because of the virus. Um, I think three to four years is an appropriate timeline. You just have to give the staff the time. That was a thing that a lot of that some people were concerned about with Charlie Strong was if you gave him that fourth year, would he get the program back on track? Now, I didn't think so, but when you know, you 
got to consider, you got to give some of these coaches time. You got to give them time to get their recruits in, um, you know, because Jeff Scott is still working with a lot of Charlie Strong and even Willie Taggart recruits. Um, so I think if you give them three to four years, I think they should be back on track with the American Conference. Gotcha. And uh, kind of going in a different direction, I wanted to ask you about um, a situation that came out Saturday with a linebacker, uh, Dwayne Bowles. Uh, can can you can you tell us about what's going on there? Give us yeah. Give us some clarity. So Dwayne is a starting linebacker. Um, he's been a starting linebacker each uh, this season and last season. Really came on last season. Another guy from Miami Central. Um, that you know has 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 played a lot of high quality, high pressure ball games. You know whether it be in high school um, and now at the collegiate level, um, he's played a lot of ball. Very experienced linebacker. Um, he played against the Citadel, and then the next week, I think we went through practice and uh, we got an email with our typical unavailables list before the Notre Dame game. And they said he was a game time decision. I didn't see him on the sideline. I not entirely sure I was up in the box for that one. So I'm just, I, I can't confirm if he was on the sidelines, but he, what we know for sure was that he was a game time decision. Ultimately didn't play might've traveled again. Like I said, don't know. Um, but then we asked about his situation before the Florida Atlantic game, said he was day-to-day. Then we go on Thursday, Zoom. Scott, he says, Dwayne ha- was dealing with some back spasms. His long-term, outlet- his long-term outlook is good. Well, he doesn't travel to, he doesn't travel to Cincinnati, um, not really knowing what's going on. And then uh, Sunday, after the game is played, that's when Dwayne tweeted that, um, he was never dealing with back spasms, that he had a herniated disc in his back from his freshman year, and that his back had been healthy since the Florida Atlantic week. Um, Jeff Scott did not address the tweets today. He wasn't asked about them either. I'm assuming we're going to get more of an update on Thursday. But if Dwayne Boyle says he's healthy, um, USF's defense changes drastically because of just how good he is. Um, you know, starting linebacker that's played a lot of games alongside of Antonio Greer, um, you know, but it, it, it's not a great look, you know, if that's basically, you know, what we're getting at. It's just not it, – it's just not a great look for, for the program, for Coach to say that you're – that a player – that a prominent player's injury is one thing and then to have the player go on social media and say it's another. Um, not a great look. Yeah, no, and that, that, that's that's the main reason I asked that question. Um, but I, I know uh, we're starting to run short on time. I, I want, I've got two more questions. I don't know about you, Artie, but um, one of the questions that I have is, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, what do you see from the Pirates? I think I think I see a program that you know has is starting to lay the foundation of uh, of being successful but a team that has just had some tough luck. You know, they obviously ECU wasn't able to play any of its first three scheduled games against Marshall, uh, South Carolina, or Norfolk State. 
Um, they haven't, they've had practice paused for multiple times this year, even going back to, you know, workouts, you know, I see ECU and USF in the same spot really in a lot of aspects. I think ECU is a, is a team that, you know, is kind of laying the foundation in their recruiting, uh, obviously bringing Mason, obviously getting a guy like Mason Garcia was a great, was a great start. Um, you know, I think ECU is bringing in some quality guys. I think Walter Simmons is, is a fantastic talent. Um, you know, at quarterback. And I think ECU is really starting to to build some some quality um within their locker rooms. I just think the program's just had some 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 tough luck as of recently. Um, you know, I think Mike Houston has the tools. Um, you know, obviously did a fantastic job at James Madison. Uh, I think he has the the tools to to get ECU back into relevance. I just think the program's just had some tough luck re- recently. Got you, got you. Yeah. And, you know, this this weekend's matchup, I mean, it's it's two teams, you know, like you said, trying to find their footing. Um, I, I think the winner of this weekend's matchup, you know, does a, does a, you know, a lot for their confidence. And the loser obviously has to go back to the drawing board. Um, you know, what's a final prediction that you would have for this weekend's game? So I've been thinking about this one a lot. You know, we mentioned obviously that, that it's probably going to end up being a defensive uh, struggle for both sides unless unless – USF does something different, and if ECU can, you know, uh, score offensive points, um, I think I, I, USF is nine and one against East Carolina all time. It's the one series that USF has consistently been able to win, whether um, you know whether they've been bad, whether they've been good. They've always found a way to beat the Pirates, except for that one year back in. Uh, I forget what it was, 2014 that East Carolina was was 19th in the country and knocked off USF at, at home. And I think that was the second year of the, of the Willie Taggart era. Um, yep. You know, until and – th- and, you know, this is kind of a, a, the same thing I say with, the, with USF's offense. Until East Carolina can prove that they can beat USF, um, I'm going to take USF in this matchup. Again, I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. I think um, – 20 to 13, um, I believe was the score back in 2018. And okay. I think that game plays out very similar to that 2018 game back in Raymond James. Um, so I think 20 to 13 USF, I think it's a close one, but I also think mm-hmm. it's pretty low scoring. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, that, that, that basically covers my, my last question. I was going to ask about keys that ECU can, uh, used to win this game but i think i think you've already hit on all that so um will i wanted to thank you for for joining the boneyard podcast man it's it's been a pleasure and uh and we wish we could be down there this weekend we were at in atlanta last weekend <laughs> i'm trying to think i'm bad luck i've been at the last two games so uh, <laughs> I, we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep here in uh in north carolina and hope for a ecu victory but uh b- best of luck to y'all and and um yeah, I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's always fun. I always enjoy playing East Carolina. Um, you know, it's always – I think they're, you know, as I mentioned, two programs in a very similar state, you know. And uh, I always enjoy games against against the Pirates, uh, not just because USF does well in them, but just because it's a fun matchup, so. Yep. Yeah, and you, pro- you probably get to, a chance to talk a little bit of smack to uh, – Friend of the podcast. Yeah, I yeah, I love um, working with Steven. So he and I definitely uh 
<laughs> he and I definitely uh, we go back and forth about uh, about each program and just kind of how bad they are right now. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's been brutal, but <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks again, Will. Uh, awesome. We'll, thanks we'll again for having soon, me on, okay? y'all. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Take take care. Once again, that was our interview with Will Turner from Twenty Four Seven Bulls. He's the beat writer covering USF sports. He's been covering. USF for the last three years. Um, for the last two, he's been working for 24-7 and CBS Sports. Um, Artie, now that we've talked about, about Will Turner, or we've, now that we've talked to Will Turner, we've talked about USF. How does ECU beat the Bulls? How, how, how does ECU win this game this weekend? Well, they, they for one, uh, score touchdowns, touchdowns over field goals, number one. Um, defensively we keep it you know like like I, like I said we agitate them in the backfield we get back there and we are able to create havoc um and and gang tackling I didn't I didn't see a lot of gang tackling last week I didn't see a lot of guys swarming to the ball um you know my I, you know my, my high school coach would always say one man one tackle and, and and when you have an opportunity in the open field to make that tackle make that tackle but his teammates also need to swarm around the ball too. Even when it looks like, you know, he might have them wrapped up, you know, that gang tackling it goes a long way in the psyche of the offense saying, okay, these guys came to play. They, they showed up there. They are ready to rock and roll. Um, for me, like I said, keeping them under 30 points and then, you know, our offense getting it, getting it going. I, I'd love to see CJ Johnson have a, have a breakout game. Um, I'd love to see Blake pro uh, do his thing consistently um, and then also, I think Holton has to do better with his legs. Um, I really haven't seen Holton open up the game with his legs yet. He can be dangerous with his legs. And I think once he opens that up, we, you know, if we, if we do more of a, like a run-pass option where he's really kind of destroying or, or, or hurting the defense with his legs, that's going to open up the passing attack. So I think those are the keys for us to beat Georgia – not Georgia, but uh, USF this weekend. Yeah, the, the keys that I have for, the, for this week, I mean – ECU has to make fewer mistakes than USF. Last week, ECU made some mistakes, and, and it cost them. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you think about it. They, they lost by, what, 20 points? If, yeah. If they would have scored some, some on offense and not given the ball away three times like they did, there you go. You, hopefully you have three scores, and those are three touchdowns. It, but you can't, you can't play that game. You can't give the ball up and then expect to win ball games like that. Um, so ECU has to make fewer mistakes than USF. I think that uh, the way that ECU blitzes will be able to, um, with the continuity not really being there with USF's quarterback and, and that offensive line, I, I think ECU can really get in that backfield and startle the quarterback and maybe force some uh, some errors mm-hmm. on, on USF's side. Um but I mean, also the the that's that's probably the biggest thing on defense. You got to take the ball away, um, and, and you can't and, you can't make I, those mistakes. Oh, and and I, and I will say just to add on to that, you know, I, I think more importantly, more so than the turnovers, is getting you know tackles for loss and sacks. I would love to see. I haven't really seen an ECU defense be able to have any tackles for loss in a long, 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 long time. If we can have three or four tackles for loss, 
getting those guys behind his chains, sending up a second and 13 or third and 15, third and 16, I think that's going to go a long, long way for us to win this game. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the depth chart, but ECU will be without Deontay Smith and uh, I believe it's Josiah Hatfield this week on defense. Um, Deontay Smith, one of those guys up front. Um, It's going to be – it's tough. It's tough being without him, um, a a good veteran. But we are seeing Aaron Ramser back back on the field and uh, since since he's coming back from injury that he he sustained last year. But um, the other thing – I've already kind of mentioned this. ECU has to run it down their – run it down their throat. ECU need – once again, we'll talk about the depth chart here in a little bit. But ECU needs – they have to run it down their throat. They ECU has their top three running backs, uh, Darius Penix, Chase Hayden, and Raji Harris. They're, right now they're listed as – they're all listed as tied for number one on the depth chart. They're all listed as number one. It's Raji Harris or De- Darius Penix or um, Chase Hayden on the on the depth chart as number one. So – you you got you got to win that. Um, you you got to win on up front and run the ball. Be able to get through those gaps and maybe bust up in some big plays. You got to you got to be rushing for at, at least try to get four yards per carry on each down. Because what what we've been seeing the, some of these pass plays that we've been running these screen pass plays we're not getting anything. We're we're not getting up. We're not getting north south. We're we're doing a right. bunch of east west running and a bunch of east west throws. And right now we're not being able to move the sticks because we're we're making these completions, but those completions are going for a yard, two yards, or the run's going for a yard, two yards because we're trying to run it outside when really we need to run it right through the middle, but we can't because our offensive line isn't what – it's not playing up to the competition. Right, and, and I was just going to say that. I mean, is that really on the running backs or is that on the O-line? Because oh, no, if, it, it, it's, not, it's not on the running backs. I'm not saying that it is. But I'm saying that you've yeah. got to find a way to open up that run game, and ECU did against UCF. So, I, and USF has a honestly has been giving up more running, more rushing yards than UCF has. So, I mean, I've got to think that USF. Yeah. Um, I mean, even against the Citadel, giving up over 200 yards rushing, a game that they want. I mean, you that's something that ECU has to do. So I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if you see a couple two-back sets coming out this week. I, I don't know what Donnie Kirkpatrick has up his sleeve, but I-, I would not be surprised. If it were me on offense, if it were me playing NCAA 14, <laughs> I'd, ha- I'd, have at- I'd have at least some kind of Y formation or something in the backfield and, and have two-, two running backs ready to go, maybe try to run some RPO. Um, I- I- and that's-, that's the type of offense that we need to run right now. We need to be – we need to be running an RPO offense. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think I think the run pass option gives us the best option to succeed. You know, and, and we don't need the home run play every single play. You know, it, two to three yards a carry is a win. If you got a third and three, third and four, that's exactly where you want to be. You you want to be in those situations. You know, those those should be easy pickups. You know, we hurt ourselves when we don't get anything going on first down. And then second down, we try to pass the ball, and it's an incomplete, or it's a, you know a little five yard out dig route that ends up being you know we, two or we, three yards, and then it's third and eight, third and nine, third and whatever, and we can't pick it up. We we can't we can't have any more third and eights 
or third, third and sevens, we can't have that. On third down, if you get to third down, you need to be within four to five yards of the sticks, yeah. the way this offense is run. So those first two runs need to go for at least two or three yards apiece. That way you can try to throw the ball or try to get another big run and, and see if the uh, the offensive line can hold up. But right now, I mean, that all, all of our problems on offense go back to that offensive line. And so right. – and I think – the offensive line is causing some of the what East, some ECU fans are calling poor play calling. It is poor play calling, but I think that Donnie Kirkpatrick, the offensive coordinator for ECU, is having to make these calls because I mean, they he does he doesn't he he can't trust his offensive line to give his quarterback or his running back some time and space to make a play. They they don't have that because yeah. the offensive line is so small and so undersized right now and so young and so inexperienced that they, they, can't, they can't stop anybody. So it all goes back to that, and that, that's going to be the biggest thing. ECU's offensive line needs to step it up, and they, they need to protect the quarterback and protect the running backs, and you'll see ECU come alive. I, 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 I feel that in my heart. I, I mean, I, I really do. That, that, that's the biggest thing. And, I, I mean, I've heard some people – Talking bad about holding nailers. There, there was one guy last week at the Georgia State game. Like, if you're if you're not going to support this team, sit sit your oh, ass at okay. home. That, sit your that, ass that, that that guy that guy at the Georgia State game last week might be my walk to plank for this week. He was absolutely terrible. I wanted uh, to go over and punch him in the face at one point. Yeah, at one point, already thought I was already thought I was uh, instigating something, but I, I was really just talking about yeah, his buddy. Did. His buddy that was passed out next to him, uh, we were sitting around the 50-yard line, and he, he was just – one guy was being an asshole, and one guy was passed out from drinking too much, I guess. Can't, now, can't now I, I, I will say this, though. If if Houghton does struggle, and he clearly struggles, and he throws maybe a couple of interceptions, or he has a fumble, or he's just not clicking, do you think we see a Mason Garcia sighting this week, or do you think it's still too early? I mean, I this is this is still Holton's team, and this, I, and, and this is but I, this is only if Holton is clearly struggling. My my thing is if Holton's struggling, this game's going to be a close game. If Holton's struggling, mm-hmm. and I, I think oh look, if, if he's if he's clicking on all cylinders, this should be a blowout. Yeah, I I, I I mean, I seriously think that if Holton's struggling, USF's probably struggling, and I'm gonna I'm gonna probably stick with Holton because he has. That two years of experience, he he has that experience. He's he's becoming a veteran. He he's he's the leader in that locker room. He he leads that team week in and week out. And uh, I mean, I, I I gotta think you're staying with Holden until you get to garbage time. Barring any you. unfortunate events. And I and I and I would agree. I would agree. But I I, I just you know it, it, you have it, to it's getting closer. Though. It's getting closer. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You definitely have to wonder if if he if he has another week where he clearly struggles. Do you start to, does 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 Coach Houston say okay maybe we might need to get Garcia more involved in the in the offensive game plan? I, I'm not sure, but I, I, I do agree. I, I think I think Houghton is the guy, and I don't I don't think Houghton's going to struggle. I, I think he's really going to have a bounce back week this week. I think he's pissed off. We, I think he's fired up. We we saw that from his post game interview from last weekend. I, I think he's going to be a kid ready to go. Yeah, I, really I mean do. the the last two weeks he he started off his interview the last two weeks. Saying it begins with me. 
it begins with me like this we've struggled we struggled but it begins with me i've got to be better i've got to be better and from what i'm what i'm hearing around the program is he's taking that to heart every every single day at practice he's going in there and he's he's trying to prove something not only to his team but to himself and i mean he doesn't have to prove much else to his team or to himself i don't think what, but he right. needs to prove it. He he has to prove it to Pirate Nation. They're they're the ones that are that are getting on him and riding him hard. And I mean, in some cases, it's rightfully so. He, yes, he's the hometown kid. He's he's the hometown hero. That's what he came to be, or came here to be. He he came to stay at ECU because he wanted to be the hometown hero. He wanted he's always wanted to be a pirate. And at first, that that was one of those like, oh yeah, rah rah stories, but. Right now, it's not it's not the case. Um, you've you've got a lot right. of this younger fan base that is ready for ECU to be good again, and and they're not willing to give anybody time. Hell, I've seen people calling for Mike Houston to be fired. If you're one of those people, walk the damn plank. If oh no! Call, come on. If you're calling come for on. this, this is this is this it, man. It, it, it takes it, it takes at least three years to build a program. I, I, I argue four. I argue it takes four years to build a legitimate program. He's in year two. People need to calm the hell down. Yeah. So, the, but that, that's, I mean, I think, I think ECU can beat USF. Um, we'll talk about that later when we talk about the betting lines. But, um, Artie, let's, uh, let's send it over to the coordinator press conference this week. Uh, we'll have, sure. this is Coach Blake Harrell, defensive coordinator for ECU, and Coach Donnie Kirkpatrick. Uh, wait, one second. Coach Blake Harrell, friend of the podcast, EC defensive coordinator, and Coach Donnie Kirkpatrick, offensive coordinator for your East Carolina Pirates. Sounds good. Coach Harrell, with uh, this offense, I guess it's a totally different challenge, and maybe the unknown is the biggest challenge at quarterback. I mean, how do you kind of prepare or have you prepared for that this week of maybe facing two, three, potentially four guys, you know, maybe? Yeah, they, they've rolled, uh, rolled a lot of guys in there at quarterback, all very talented, all very good players, um, you know, which certainly is what it is. You, you got to kind of – each one has something he does really well. And you got to kind of alert your kids to that, and maybe you make a different call for one as you post to the other. Um, and they got a lot of skilled kids that can really run, and they're really good up front. So they, they uh, like you said, propose some challenges, and we got to be ready to meet those and step up to the plate and and see what we can get done. Do you have a, as a follow up? Do you have a, a guess as one guy, or at least you willing to to publicly put out a guess or, or no? I, I'd be rolling the dice to be honest. I mean, you, we we think. Um, you know, if you watch if you watch throughout the games, I think number three is a really good quarterback. Played against played against us last year. Six uh, got his first ball game last year. Did uh, last week, sorry, did a really good job. Um, did some good things. Transferred from North Carolina. Uh, the, the young kid, freshman, twelve, really good player. You know, he's certainly very talented. And then zero, who was the uh, you know Alcorn State Player of the Year in that conference, uh, does some really good things. You know, and he's kind of a a wildcat kid back there that can throw the ball and, and a good player as well. So, you know, I'm, we may see them all. Who, who knows? And we'll prepare for all of them and be ready to go. Coach, you guys have played well in stretches the first couple games. What do you think it'll take to, I guess, put a full game together? What do you think is leading to maybe those two or three series that are holding you guys back? 
you know, and I, I think we talked about it a little bit last week. We have played well at times, and at times it's like we can't get over the last play and we can't handle adversity. And that's something we we continue to talk about and keep working on. And hey, don't don't worry about what happened in the last play. Move on to the next play. Don't point fingers about the last play. Pull the thumb and let's get on to the next play and keep moving. And and you just got to take it one one play at a time. It's like eating an elephant. You eat an elephant one bite at a time. You win a ball game one play at a time. Don't worry about uh, you know, the third quarter, fourth quarter, last play, whatever it may be, uh, take care of that play. Take care of what's important now. And uh, we're talking about right now, just at practice, hey, win this rep. And then after you win that rep, win the next rep. And stack rep after rep after rep. rep. And the next thing you know, you've won the day of practice. And, and that's how we kind of face it. Blake, where do you feel like you've, uh, you've learned the most about your defense so far? Where the, what have they gotten best? Uh, gotten better at uh, best and besides what you just talked about where they got to get better at you, you know I, th I think uh, at times and, and kind of what Stephen hit on there we, we show some some you know we can run the ball we can play fast we do a great job tackling and other times it, you see it just kind of up and down up and down so we got to be more consistent on that and our kids are doing a great job they're working their butts off and uh, we created some turnovers last week um, you know, we, we've, we've pressured a lot the first couple of weeks, and, and sometimes we, we've done a really good job with that. Sometimes, you know, we got we obviously got to improve on it. And uh, I think our base defense is starting to improve, and we're starting to get our run fits down with that. So feeling good about where that direction is going. You know, we can do some different things, uh, pressure and play some base. So feeling good about some package things we got going on as well. Coach, I was going to ask you, as far as uh, speaking of pressure on the quarterback, whoever that should be, be playing on more pressure this week? <laughs> well, um, you know, I think I think you just kind of get, get in the game and see how it goes. It's just just like any other time. Um, if, can you get there with three guys? Can you get there with four guys? Can you get there with five? Do you need six? Do you need seven? Whatever it may be, and and you got different plans throughout the game. That, so how are you going to get that done? And who and which exactly guys it'll be? Is it going to be your D line? Is it going to be your linebackers? Is it going to be your, your inverts or overhangs? Uh, but you just got to come up with creative ways and find guys that. That's what they do best and get to the bachelor the best and find guys that cover the best and put those guys in coverage. When you look at the, the Warren Saber pick six last week and then and building on that, is there anything, I don't know, that mentally or strategy or on the sideline of, of being able to turn that into a good quarter, you know, like build on that instead of just it, it kind of went away pretty quickly? Right. It, it's, uh, you know, when you, when you start off uh, really fast sometimes, you're like, oh, man, this could, this could be a great day. And then sometimes over the years, it's been all our experiences, like you kind of want to, hey, get a three, three, you know, three and out stop right away. Maybe that turnover pick six coming on the second series uh, just to get your kids, hey, consistency, playing the next play and, and things like that. But we still, it's, it's still the same thing I mentioned earlier. Next play, something good happens next play, something bad happens next play and, and move on and keep playing. And, and like we've all kind of mentioned and talked about consistency uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the ball game. Coach, you guys have rotated a lot through the first two games. Obviously, your first year as coordinator. Do you feel like you're starting to get a better feel for the personnel, you know, what, what guys do certain stuff well, that sort of stuff? There's no question. It's, you know, it's probably about being married your first year, I guess. You know, you kind of – you find out exactly what your wife likes. You find, you find out what exactly she don't like and yada, yada. It's kind of like that with your football team. Uh, every game you play, you find out what you're more comfortable with and putting those guys in certain situations or – 
what guys can do what, what guys, you know, really rush the passer well, or what guys can drop into coverage and, and you put them in better situations each and every ball game and each and every practice. And, um, you know, you, you try to get them there for Saturday for South Florida. Coach, what do you feel like the biggest challenges that are facing this team as you play uh, USF this weekend? You know, what's, what do they do well? You know, if, if you look at the stat page, they, they, I think about 165, 170 yards rushing a game. And they, so they obviously have ran the football pretty well. Um, and they got, like I said earlier, they got some speed. They're going to take their shots. They showed, showed that in the Cincinnati game where they're going to try to stretch the field on you. Uh, they got some receivers that can really run. They got two backs that, uh, number one, number 10, that can, you know, stretch the field vertical and, and lateral and horizontal. But um, that, that's the best, the biggest challenge for us is just matching their speed. Coach, you were able to get uh, Aaron Ramsour kind of some more reps this past week. How has he come along in his rehab, obviously? He, he's getting there. I think, he, you know, he had a tough uh, a tough camp as far as, you know, his rehab with his knee was was kind of slowed down through the uh, off months there, not being here to rehab as much and as much attention as he would need. And then uh, he, he had some different other injuries, we'll say. You know, one, one night was a stomach issue. One, another thing he has is a cast on his hand. So, those have held him out at different times. But he is catching up and coming along and, and looking good. Coach, what about uh, some fans in Pirate Nation have asked about Travion Freshwater. How is he progressing? Fre Freshwater is doing a good job. He's, um, you know, still battling it out, still in that rotation, still on the travel team. Uh, you know, very talented, talented young man um, and really good at rushing a passer. And we just got to get him, you know, where he's 100% accuracy on his assignments all the time. And, and he's getting there. And he's improving every day. And, uh, still a young kid. I mean, he's a, a, a redshirt freshman playing his first college snaps. But, you know, and I think I said this last week, you can see those guys and Freshwater is one of those guys that every week they get better and better and better. And it's, it's some of it's a confidence thing. Some of it's just more reps. Some of it's growing up, you know. In, in Aaron Ramsey's case, it's, hey, he, he needs those reps uh, where he missed that time where he's now catching up and he's getting to uh, a starter level. And, and Freshwater, he's, he's getting better and better every day. Okay, one more question for Coach Harrell. Okay. okay, Coach Harrell, thanks for your time. All right, appreciate you guys. Nice. Coach, how are you, sir? I've been better, but I've been worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're just going to go ahead and turn it. Over. We're going to go ahead and turn it over to questions now. Donnie, when you when you guys have a game like you did this past Saturday, you know when you talk about it as coaches, do you look at it more as you know, we just need to get these guys more experienced before they start executing this better. Or do you look at tweaking some things? I guess what's what's maybe the balance there? I think you you go back and you say uh, we got to go back to fundamentals, and you got to go back to being more simple, because uh, you know Saturday was a disappointment uh, in a lot of ways, I guess. But just in what I'm involved with, it was a disappointment because we had we had a lot of MAs, mental assignments, mistakes. And uh, we, we do have a young group. There's a ton of excuses, but nobody cares about that. You know what I'm saying? Who, who cares? You know what I'm saying? Uh, that was that bothered us a little bit right there. And then I, I don't know. I, we looked a little slow. I, I just thought we didn't have the energy that we had in the first game, and that was a little disappointing too. Uh, so there, were, there, there was a lot of things like that. But you, you go back to fundamentals. There were, there were some routes, for example, that guys that run good routes normally had gotten sloppy. 
and they the depth of the route wasn't good, the number of steps wasn't good. That throws the timing off. Uh, you know, we, we had some issues with some protections, but it wasn't like uh, uh, it, it, the guy stepped the wrong way. You know, if it's you're supposed to step right, they stepped left. It, it, I mean, it was really just stuff like that that was disappointing. Now, good defense. They, they do a heck of a job. They know that defense well. They brought a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stunts, a lot of good twists. So they challenge you. But we should have been better than that. When you look at this matchup, maybe both offenses are looking for a spark or, you know, can hit big plays would really help it. And does that go to the energy thing you're talking about? You know, if, if either team, whether it's run pass or whatever, hits a 50, 60-yard play, how much could that impact this particular game, you think? A, a lot, especially with a team like us, because we are uh, so young, I guess. You, you, we'd have probably been somewhat young. You take, you know, Dante out of there, all of a sudden our, our best offensive lineman, our most experienced offensive lineman, and he is our most energized guy, too. He brings a lot of energy to it and like today at practice he was out there giving some energy and doing some things even not playing but he, he wasn't there at the game so you, you don't get any of that Noah Henderson's been out for a while too I think Noah can can be that guy so we are we're fragile we're very fragile the game you know got off to a crazy start we uh, you, you gained seven yards on the first play okay that's that's pretty good that's kind of what we wanted to do the game plan was Snead was going to get the ball we were going to get Snead going and, you know, we were going to establish that. I was going to get him out of his little funk right there because he was really stressing, you know, after the first week and feeling like he let everybody down, which he did not. He, he didn't, you know, he didn't do that. But he was feeling that. He's a competitor. You gained seven yards. Then we, we can't gain three yards in, in, in the next two plays. That's That was disappointing. You look up, you're behind. You keep getting more behind. You're not a team that's had a lot of success, so they don't have that confidence. And, you know, we, we had a couple of shots. Uh, to make big plays. We had two touchdown passes that one, uh, he got hit a little bit. He should have still made the throw. We, uh, after we got a turnover, it was the perfect time to take a shot. And it could have been a 70-yard touchdown pass. That could have totally changed the game right there. And then series or two later, we had a double post. It was all basically uncovered. And we did, we did blow a protection there. And, and he had to scramble. He missed the throw there, too. And uh, you look back up because of, uh, you know, Snead on the, 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 the fake field goal with all the good blocking, too. You know, the O-line obviously did a great job of that, too, on the, on the line, blocking that. And then Blake Pro comes through there and blocks a punt, you know. And you look, boy, you're back in the game. And, and there were so many ways we could have really been down to at least the last possession who's going to win this game. If we could have had those two big plays back, you know, we, we, we really had a touchdown right before the half. He's an inch or two out. You know, he could have had a play there. C.J. catches one in the back of the end zone. He's about a foot out, you know, there too. Uh, three opportunities in the red zone that we settled for field goals. One of them, we had a first down and 10, and we made it a first and 20 with a hold. I never seen it. He held after the play was all over, but they still called it. So, I mean, he was holding, I guess, is a call. Coach, I had a question about C.J. Johnson. It seems like on every play watching the game last week, there's always pushing, pulling. There seems like there's a lot of – you could about call if you're a referee, pass interference on the the, uh, the defense. Knowing that, how do you get C.J. more involved and not uh, get his head out of the game? It seems like I would be frustrated, too, if you're a talented receiver and everybody's pushing, pulling you, grabbing your jersey. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that's their strategy. Um 
I, we know a lot of guys on their staff, you know, very well. A lot of us have coached at the same place. And basically they told us that was their strategy, hold him. And they'll only call so many interferences in a game probably. And, you know, if, 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 it, if it does turn out to be a problem, then, then maybe they'll, they'll adjust and quit holding. And uh, he had three pass interferences. A lot of people are like, well, CJ didn't do anything. I was like, well, you know, he didn't have a lot of catches, but he did have 45 yards. Now, you know, that don't go in your stats, so it doesn't make it look like that. And you don't get that, that momentum from that sometimes as a player. But he did, he did draw three pass interferences. Two others should have been called. That, that they didn't call. So what we're going to have to do without giving it away, because I'm sure they, they listen to, you know, the, the level of this media here, I'm sure, is national, so that I'm sure they're all looking at this tonight, too. Uh, we're going to have to move him around a little bit. We're going to have to be creative. And, uh, and like I say, it kind of had a game plan to get Snead going last week, and, and for the most part, that worked. You know, Snead got a lot of touches, and he was productive uh, with 100-some yards we got to make sure we've got some things like that in there that specifically go to CJ that uh, they can't hold him. So, you know, there's motions moving him around. There, there's some picks, there's some rubs, there's some different things that we've worked on this week. He's had a good week of practice, and um, hopefully we'll get him started because that that is now that's a big part of what we got to get going. Donnie, uh, a lot of people are asking and wondering um, – if you guys are going to really begin to open it up a little bit, you've had difficulty running the football a little bit with the offensive line guys out, some of those guys out, and trying to piece together, a, you know, a group that that, uh, that kind of has some, you know, cohesion up front. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, I don't know, throw it more than 50 times in a game? I, I don't know. Can we throw it more than 50? I guess we can. I think I've thrown it 60-something before, but we wouldn't like to throw it more than 50. We had 29 completions. You know, that's a lot of completions. So, um, the first game, we ran the ball well. You know what I'm saying? We ran, you know, the ball really well. We, we don't fumble it. It would have been a tremendous day. And then if we don't have two penalties downfield, and one of them a late hit, which was crazy, and then another one, you know, was a holding call, which maybe he held the guy. You know, that's that's one of those things. We ran the ball well, so what we got to do this week is we can't let that game beat us twice. You know, Sunday I, I was pretty down, and I'm saying uh, Monday I still, you know, kind of had my jaw out of place a little bit. Even Tuesday, you know, I was still pretty pretty down about it. Today kind of got us going again. We can't let that. We can't say, well, we can't run the ball. We can't do this just because we didn't do it to one game. We can run the ball. We will run the ball. Uh, we'll take our shots. We'll be we'll be open. I don't we don't care if we throw it or run it. You know, we just want to do it well. It kind of depends on what the defense is giving you a little bit. And uh, the first game, Central Florida was a lot more concerned about the passing game than they were the run game. So the run was more there than the the passing. Somebody I think had asked me. I think Clip had asked me about. You know, late in the game, you, you were running it in the fourth quarter. Well, the fourth quarter, I, I don't know that we had much of a chance to win the game. They were playing the pass. They were two safeties deep. So why not run it? You're going to make more yards running it than you were throwing it at that point. Uh, you know, Saturday, I think going in, they said, okay, they're a pretty good running team. We got to stop the run. They had the box loaded. And, you know, we, we, we did try to establish the run early because – the defense at that point wasn't playing very well. They played really well in the second half, but they weren't stopping them. So you've got to give them a break. You can't go out there and keep going three and out and just wearing them down until they can make their adjustments, which Coach Harrell and those guys did an unbelievable job then of getting that. But but you got to find a way to give them a chance to, to do that. So, you know, you don't want to just totally get away from your game plan. Uh, you still got enough time when you're when you're down that early. 
but you know, there was a point in the second half where we probably didn't run it very much. You know, like say we were, we were, we were throwing it almost every snap there. If we could have hit the big throws, a couple of big throws there, uh, we would, we would really had a shootout there with them, even though we were way behind early, I think. And Donnie, going back to CJ just a little bit, how is he kind of holding up mentally, you know, at this point and the pressure of kind of being that number one receiver? Is he one of those guys that when he gets in the game, it makes some big plays, he kind of builds on that? Is he, you know, kind of emotionally driven during games? I think so. He's, he's really emotional. And in the first game, he got too emotional because the guys went after him a little bit and they turned into a one-on-one. And so we had to settle him down a little bit from that. And this week he really controlled his emotions. Uh, he just uh, couldn't get involved in the game. He, he really uh, had a couple of fundamental things that we've really tried to work on. And, and when you just try to go back and just tell everybody, you know, really how well you play is not determined by necessarily how many catches you make. You know, that, that's, just, that's just part of it. When, when you're not thinking about it, it'll come his way. He'll get the ball. He'll start making those plays. It's early in the year. It, nobody wanted to have played poorly. Nobody wanted to have lost already. But uh, I think he's, he's in a pretty good place this week. He, he acts like he's ready to go, and, and, and he's okay. Coach, kind of going off question. Uh, Holton, he was as down as we've seen him after the game. How, how has he bounced back, especially as a, a leader uh, for, for you guys offensively? I, I agree with you. That's the that's the most I've seen uh, after the game affect him. He he really, I thought was was low. He was really crushed, and you know he he had he had his deal. He he played eighty plays in a game, and he had seventy five really good plays, and he had five really bad plays. And the two, the three interceptions, the one really was not his fault. The two were they were really just just bad decisions, and he's pressing because. When we get behind or we're struggling, he just feels like, I need to do something. I need to put the team on my back. Well, you want guys like that, but you got to do it in the right way. You can't then go just make up something. And he just made two really bad decisions where they were both on first down. That's what kills you. It's first and 10. You don't have to force it on first and 10. You got two more downs to make 10 yards. And, and you know what? We're, we've been in a lot more four down mode too. The game has changed. I mean, it, it's becoming a four down game. And so we're, we've really been talking about that. So he's got to quit doing that. Sometimes you got to throw one away on first down if it's not there. Every play's not going to work every time. And uh, the one was an RPO. He should have handed it off. The other one was just routes were covered. He tried to make something up. Uh, so uh, he, he was really down, I thought, on Sunday as well. I thought saw him on Monday. He was kind of coming back. I think Coach Houston's done a good job with him of, uh, you know, covering for, for him. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I do live in a cave. I don't know what's going on for the most part uh, out there. Uh, they built a store between my house and here, and I didn't even know it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's because it's dark when I come. It's dark when I go home. Uh, but I, obviously, he's been getting beat up, I guess. I, that's to be expected. He knows that. Uh, you know, we, we all know that. All of us in this business understand that. As we tell them all the time, you know, they don't love you. You know, they just love what you do. Anyhow, trust me, they don't hate you. They don't even know you. They just hate what you did. There were a couple of plays because we didn't win. And I, I think he's bounced back just from some support. The teammates, he's had a lot of teammates, I think, have rallied behind him, you know, and kind of given him, you know, that support too. So uh, he'll be determined. I, he had an unbelievable practice today. Normally, if you practice well, you play well. Let's hope that'll be the case this weekend. Okay. Thanks, Donnie, for your time. Thank you, as always, guys. All right, guys, see you all tomorrow.
Once again, that was the both the coordinators, the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator for East Carolina, uh, talk, talking this week in their press conferences. Um, Artie, let, let's get into this depth chart a little bit. I, I've done some digging this week on on some of these guys, and I, I I'm, I'm let's just say I'm I'm trying to become an insider at ECU. Right. Right. I'm, I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to learn my way as an insider there's, there's no trade deadlines to break or anything like that but I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on at ECU okay um so so one thing that I, I've been digging into we've been on we've kind of been on this trail for the last two weeks right Demetrius Mooney what's what's up with Demetrius Mooney what's up with right. Brian Gag so the one thing with Demetrius Mooney I'll say is it sounds like he's coming back from COVID protocol. I don't. I don't know if he had it. I don't know if he tested positive. That's not our business. But he's coming back from COVID protocol, so he he's had to either quarantine or isolate for the last two to three weeks, and that's mm-hmm. why he, his conditioning's probably just not there. That's why you've seen him on special teams. That the best place to get conditioning on a football field during games is playing special teams. That's the best place to get it. Right. I mean, you're running up and down the field probably twice in some cases on special teams. So we saw Demetrius Mooney on special teams last week. He was dressed out. He traveled with the team. Um, I got to think he's coming back from something. He's he's also, I think he's had some nagging injury. Um, He's still left off the depth chart in the running back room, but uh, I I have a feeling that you'll see him back up in there in the the next couple weeks. Uh, Unless, Another thing yeah, that I've just, heard, another thing that I've heard is that they're looking at him at, at some other positions, and there might even be something going on on the defense. That's just something that like I heard. Okay. But but I I don't know how much did he, truth. Did he, did, did he play? Not, I'm sure he was a two way player in high school. Do we know what he played in high school? As far I, as defense, I, I think he play, I think he played more like a cornerback role. Okay. I mean he he's quick enough to play cornerback so. Um, that, that's, that's one of those things that I, I'm not, I'm taking it with a grain of salt. It's one of those things that I heard, but, uh, I'm, I'm taking it with a grain of salt. Hey, look, I mean, he's, he's an excellent talent and he's somebody that we need out on the field, you know, not sure what's going on with him, but just hoping for a speedy recovery, whether it's an illness or it's an injury. Um, we definitely need his production on the field. And so I'm just hoping that he can get back healthy and back, right. Cause we definitely miss Demetrius Mooney. Uh, on the on the field, yeah. And then with Bryson Gag or Bryson Brian Gag, I've been watch, I've been watching golf. Bryson DeChambeau uh, leads Harold Varner by one stroke at the uh, Shriners Invitational right now. Ooh. But hey, it's only Thursday. Harold Varner had a great day today. Um, I believe he's let's go HV three. I believe he's seven under. Um, on he was seven under in the first round. So hopefully he can keep that up through the weekend. But um, Brian Gag, the the quarterback out of Florida, I have a feeling that he's opted out. Um, early on in camp, yeah. they early on in camp they said that um, that nobody was opting out, that no players had opted out. But the way that he 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 didn't even travel with the team last week. This is a guy that last year was your number two quarterback. He's not traveling with the team Un- unless he's entered the transfer portal. And somehow we all missed it. I was just about to say that. He, yeah, he, he definitely could be 
or, or wanted to enter the transfer portal because I think he understands he doesn't really have a shot. Yeah, no, this this is either this is Holden's team or Mason's team. That right. That that's their position. Um, I mean, Brian and Brian Gag's a hell of a quarterback too. It, it, it's a good problem to have. I, I bet USF wishes that they were in our situation when it comes to quarterback. But right. Um, uh, and this is just something that from people that I've talked to. It sounds like they they were just they basically just told me look look at the facts. Brian Gag's not traveling with the team. He's not dressing out. I mean, no, we're not at we're not at practice, so we can't see if he's there. But um, yeah, I, I have a feeling Brian Gag has opted out. Once again, that's all speculation based on just looking at the roster, looking at the depth chart, and then being at the last two games and seeing who was on and off the field. Now, I, I do have one more player, and it's, it's the quarterback position. Nigel Knott, do we do we have a timetable on his return or, or know when he might be able to come back? Have you heard anything about him? Right now, the, that's not one of the places I've been looking at. I know that he's been dealing with a, a lower body injury. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's been a leg. Um, that, that's something that he, he had before he came back or came to East. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, I know that, he wasn't going to play in the first couple of games. I just didn't know if he was going to be returning for, you know, the, the I, first well, half of the season or the back half of the season or I, if there's any kind of word or speculation on his his uh, his return. I have a feeling that we will see him by the end of the year. Um, given given he continues to progress in his recovery. Right. Um, that that's just from what I've heard and from digging um, digging around and, and talking to some people. Um, close to the program, so who knows? Um, that, that would be a, that would be a huge get. I mean, especially with with some of the, uh, some of the other guys on our defense out. Um, so yeah, already uh, talking about. I, I want to talk about one thing before we send it over to Coach Houston and then start wrapping this thing up. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, to a guy that we got a DM from. Today, did you see that DM, Marty? The tattoo? Uh, I, I haven't checked Twitter all day. The tattoo, okay. I, didn't see it. I believe it. Let's see who was it. It was Rich Devita the third. Rich is Rich is a he's he's a faithful listener. He's always interacting with us on on social media. Um, Shout Rich, out Rich. Shout out Rich. Rich, just out of nowhere from the clouds comes in with a picture. Or. All right, I know you. I know you're recording on your phone right now, but when you get a yeah. chance to look at this picture, he's got he's got a uh, one of the old school ECU logos in, on his arm now. Here, let me see. Okay. If I, can you see? Yeah, hold on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the old school Jolly Roger. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I yeah, like he's it. Got, he's got the old school Jolly Roger on on his arm, and he uh, he asked us. He was a, he said, "You guys see my new permanent edition." <laughs> And I just had, oh hell yeah, to respond. I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not somebody that has any ink on, on me. I don't, I don't. I would love to have a tattoo. I, I, my thing is, I don't know what to get, and I'm, I'm so indecisive that I know as soon as I get it, I'm not gonna be happy with what I got, and I'm gonna want something else. Once, once, once you get one, you're gonna want more. I'm trying to trying to figure out when I'm gonna get my second one. So, yeah, so, it, it's definitely an addiction. I can I can tell you that. So yeah, um, shout shout out to Rich for that um, for that picture and that that 
that message that he sent us. He, he's always, he's, he's always sending us stuff that, uh, that we're, we're always, he's always sending us stuff in our DMS and asking and, us questions and, and, and whatnot. Um, one and last, and and I, I was just going to say, that's, that's exactly what we want. We want to have the people, you know, interact with us, hit us in the DM, socialize with us. I mean, we, we'd love to talk. We, you know, we love to, to interact with, with our listeners. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole point. Yeah. Even, even if you, even if you don't, um, even if you message us, we're gonna we're gonna talk to you about whatever you message us about. You can message us about anything. You you can message me about how uh, tr- try messaging me or messaging us about Chipotle or Moe's. I would love to have that <laughs> conversation with somebody. I've had Moe's twice this week. Moe's is Moe's is the greatest fast food chain on on the planet. Um, uh, <laughs> all right, already. I like most. I do. I like most. I'm just not. I'm not with you on the greatest fast food chain on the planet. One one other thing that I wanted to talk about about the depth chart. It's not anything that was really that stands out about the depth chart, but we we heard another kind of cool story when we were in Atlanta um, last weekend. So Chris Willis, you know Chris Willis got ejected in the first first half for a targeting call, right? right? Well. Right. He had flown himself into Atlanta from Raleigh, like the day before. He he posted a picture on his Instagram saying that he was boarding the plane to Atlanta, and he wasn't flying with the team. Well, that leads one to believe that this guy got finally got off the COVID protocol, had to fly himself down to Atlanta to join the team, join the team in Atlanta after testing negative, joined the team, got in their bubble. And in the first half of his first game at ECU, gets ejected for a – I mean, it was a massive hit on, on the quarterback. <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah. I mean, popped his helmet off and everything. I mean, I, I, you hate to see that go into – go as a um, as a targeting call. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just want to say that that was pretty cool for his, for his first uh, time, time as a pirate on the field. But uh, here, Artie, let's send it over to Coach Houston. And, and let him talk to the people about uh, USF. All right. Um, a good Thursday practice. Kids had a lot of energy, um, zipping around, uh, excited for Saturday. Uh, had a pretty solid week, I think, this week. And, uh, you know, really excited to get down there and see us play. So, uh, you know, it should be a great matchup. Uh, you know, Coach Scott in, in his first year, um, you know, doing a great job there. Uh, he has a team with a lot of ability, a lot of talent. Um, at home, it could be a great challenge for us, but the kids are excited to go play. Coach, Donnie told us last night he thought in the last game, the offense maybe was a little slow or sluggish. I know you talked the other day about playing hard and playing fast. When coaches talk about that, what does playing fast exactly mean? Is that with intent or passion? How do you kind of ideally play fast in games? Those are two great words. I mean, I, it's the way my teams have always played. Um, they have to be trained to play that way. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's not easy because human nature is not to – you know, give great effort. I mean, human nature is to kind of just 
you know, meander along, you know, go through the motions, you know, people that are, you know, excel at their jobs are those that outwork their opponents, you know, outwork their coworkers, out, outwork their competition. Um, it's no different in athletics. It's no different in football. Um, you know, in order to do that, I think, you know, one big thing is, you know, obviously physical conditioning is a factor, you know, uh, you got to be in great shape in order to run and, and, and play with great enthusiasm, play with great intensity because exhaustion, uh, you know, it'll take, it'll take all that out of you. Um, you know, you got to know what to do. You see a lot of young kids play slow sometimes because they're confused or they're thinking too much, you know? And so, uh, you know, you got to make sure that they're really sound with, you know, assignments and things like that. And then, you know, you've got to have that internal drive to, com to compete, to be the best, to be a competitive warrior. You have to have it. And, you know, we've all seen individuals that have it. Um, you know, it's, it's really special when you have an entire unit that has it or an entire team that has it. Uh, but that is the way we want to play. We want to play with intensity. We want to play with physicality. We want to play fast. We want to run and hit on defense. We want to be aggressive on offense. That's the way that we, we want to play the game of football. Um, that's that's the goal for Saturday night. That's why that's the message that I left with the team as we walked off the field. That's it. Uh, if you do those things, yeah, we all understand. You got to do the other things too. You can't have turnovers. You you can't have you know stupid penalties. You know you you've you've got to force turnovers. You got to play great in execution on special teams. Um, but you know, I'm a firm believer that if if you win the point of contact deal, if you win you know, the, the team that has the most of that in them, more times than not, you're going to win the game. Coach, has Deontay, has he been able to practice at all this week? He's been out there. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes this weekend. Coach, they, they say you're never as, as bad as your worst loss and never quite as good as your, your last win. Um, talk about the attitude of this team, how it's progressed as the week has gone on um, heading into the USF game. Well, I mean, Tuesday, I thought we probably had, you know, maybe the best defensive practice we've had all year. Um, it had all those things that, I, that Ronnie was asking about and I was talking about. I mean, I just, it was, it was really enjoyable to see. Uh, it reminded me of, you know, back to my, my first year at the Citadel. I remember a practice just like that, that first year. And it's, you know, once you can get that consistently, you're going to see, you know, a lot of improvement. So I think, you know, how are the kids, you know, they're motivated, you know, they, you know, they, they want to win, they want to play well. Uh, you know, that's, they, they work very, very hard, uh, you know, for each opportunity they have on the field. Coach, you talked a lot about playing complimentary football in the past, you know, offense, defense, special teams. It seems like maybe when the Special teams is playing well, and the defense is playing well. The offense is—is is that I know it's cliche, but is that very important to get back on that going forward? Yeah, it all works together. You know, I, I know that you know you've experienced here at East Carolina in the past where you've had a dominant offense and you know a very weak defense, and and you've seen the results of that sometimes. Um, you know, I've seen it where you have a dominant defense and, and a, an offense that's not up to par. Um, you know, most of the time, if you're pretty good on offense and defense, you're going to be good on special teams. So that usually works out as kind of a combination of the, of the two. But, you know, we want it to be a complimentary deal. You know, we want it to be a deal where one side of the ball feeds off the other. Uh, and we want to be great in all three phases. That's, that's the whole deal. It's, 
um, you know, that's the real critical thing right now. It's what, uh, it's what we've all worked very hard at this week. Do you think uh, kind of going on that special teams can, can play a big role in this game? And you look at Jake Verity and kind of the kicking edge you have there. Tyler Snead against South Florida had a kick return. I mean, is that something you can, can use to spark this team or have a special teams advantage in any way? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be a big factor in Saturday night's game. I mean, you know, and with, with South Florida's team speed, you know, they, they have some dynamic ability in the special teams, all, in a special teams return game also. Uh, and in their coverage uh, units. So uh, it's going to be a factor in the game. It is every week. You know, I thought we were very good uh, special teams wise last week. You know, we had, uh, you know, a couple of a couple of negative plays on kickoff return and a, a negative play on an extra point. But I mean, outside of that, you know, we had a really solid game, uh, you know, special teams wise. So, you know, if it's two evenly matched teams and offenses and defenses are, are you know, play a fairly even game, then special teams could be the deciding factor. there any other uh, questions for Coach Houston? Coach, <clears throat> Coach, as we sit here one week from last Thursday, what's different about the program as, as we head into this game versus South Florida versus Georgia State? Kind of the mindset. What's different? What's changed in a week? Well, you know, a lot of those guys that were, you know, getting their first college start last week in the game under their belt, uh, you know, so the nervousness is not there. Um, all those freshmen that were taking their first plane flight last uh, Friday, you know, they've got the experience of a road game under their belt. So, you know, that that, that experience will be valuable this weekend. Um, I think that, uh, you know, complete roster. I just think that, uh, you know, I, I saw some more urgency this week. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, everybody wants to win. I don't care what school you're at. I don't care what level you're at. Everybody wants to win, uh, but you know, winning is 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 hard. It's 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 not easy. Uh, sometimes, you know, I think that uh, I've been at some places where we've done it a lot, and 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 people get complacent. Uh, but you forget just how how hard it is to build those programs. Um, we've got a bunch that they are passionate about East Carolina football and about playing at a high level. Uh, and I think I probably saw more of that this week than maybe I saw last week. Hopefully we see it Saturday night. Okay, Coach Houston, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, guys. Right, talk to you Saturday. Okay. Once again, that was our uh, press conference this week with Coach Houston, uh, his, his pregame press conference. Um, Artie, let's uh let, let's give the people what they what they want. Let's do a walk the plank. Let's do it. I'm gonna let you go first because I got a couple. Yeah, I didn't I didn't have one until you mentioned that guy from last week's Georgia State game, but I'm gonna go ahead and uh and bring him up. He looked like a typical frat boy. And, and, and Jared, you and I are both in fraternities, or in the same fraternity, I, sh I should say. Um, but this guy absolutely looked like a typical frat boy. Looked like he had a few more drinks than he should have had. Um, screaming and hollering uh, for, for Mason Garcia to come into the games since the first quarter. And I'm honestly shocked at how long it took for the parents to, to go over and talk to him. I mean, this guy was really, really giving it to, to, to Houghton. I'm sure Houghton hurt him 
from the sideline too. I mean, yeah, we we were. I mean, out the other. We 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 were sitting there pretty closely, and yeah, you you had to have heard it. That guy was just being an asshole. We saw him. We saw just just, just being an ass. And and I mean, you, you, look, you're either an ECU fan or you're not, man. You know, yeah. and he just looked like a, a a bandwagon guy who was just there to be there. I guess maybe hit on some girls that were there, be with his be with his buddies, but you know, support the team or not, man. You know, and and you know, Holden he did struggle last week, but a lot of that had to do with the O line. And I still think he's going to come out this week and 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 honestly play pretty pretty damn good. So to the, to that guy, whoever he is, walk the damn plane. Thank you, Artie. That that was uh, that was well said. Um, but Artie, I've, I've, like I said, I've got a couple. Okay. Are you, Go ahead. Are you ready for me to start? All right. Go ahead. So um, number one, as you know, the uh, the MLB playoffs are going on, and. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, I mean, my, hell, I'm surprised I made it this far and I haven't talked about it. The Braves are going to the NLCS for the first time since 1991. I was six. I was six the last time the Braves made it to the NLCS. So, shout out to my Braves. Snaps to the Braves. For, for, for doing doing the damn thing. Um, it's not done, though. They, they, they've, had to, they've had to go through some, uh, some other teams. Well, let me talk to you about Zach Grinke. I don't know if you – did you see this today? No, <laughs> this man standing on the standing on the mound, a pitcher, uh, Zach Greinke. I mean, he he's one of those guys that I mean, he's he he doesn't have a World Series ring, but he's done pretty much damn near everything else you can do as a pitcher in the mm. ma- in Major League Baseball. Well, Zach Greinke, I don't know if it was it's cockiness. He's done it before, where he just yells what he's about to throw. He just yells it. He yells it to the pitcher or to the catcher and to the batter. He's telling people what he's going to throw. And today he held up two fingers behind his glove. He, he just – he basically gave the peace sign and mouth two, hmm. meaning that he was about to throw a breaking ball. Well, the next pitch, wouldn't you know, it was a breaking ball. And uh, Ramon Laureano for the Oakland Athletics was all over it and hit a three-run bomb off this man that just told him what he was going to give. So Zach Grinke walked the damn plank. Even though the Astros are moving on, um, which is bullshit, the Astros shouldn't. Let's go, Strohs! Shut the hell up. Let's go, Strohs! Artie, I'm I'm about to tell you to walk the damn plank. Hey, listen to me. I I, I love baseball, but I love seeing baseball fans more pissed off. Nothing would make me happier. Than to see the Astros go to the World Series just to piss everybody off. I just I don't I don't know why. I would just love to see it. I just love to see everybody the, angry. The Astros in the World Series is like LeBron in another NBA Finals. Everybody nobody, would just nobody wants to, angry. Angry. Nobody wants to. And see I love it. it. I love um, it. So my next one, um, the the Marlins were talking a lot of shit this week. A lot of shit. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. And uh, they lost the first game. They lost, I believe it was like 9-5, first game. 9-5, they lost it. And that was the first game that the Braves gave up any runs in the postseason. Well, guess what? After talking so much shit, you know what what the Marlins did the next two days? They ran out there for 18 straight innings and didn't score a damn run. They got their asses swept. 
And this is after they wore these stupid ass shirts that said bottom feeders. Yeah, y'all are bottom feeders. You're, you've been the bottom feeders since 2003. You haven't won a damn thing. Yeah, you've got two World Series. So, so were they were they not supposed to have confidence, Jared? They is, is literally that what you're were they weren't supposed to have confidence. They were going to win. They were literally calling themselves the bottom feeders. They were talking shit, and they they weren't. They shouldn't have even been in the playoffs. That's that's a part of sports. Yeah, they were talking shit. That's, that's and they just, they got their ass rocked. They were mad that. They're mad that the Braves were mad that Acuna, the one of the faces of baseball, keeps getting plunked because the Marlins can't get him out. He hits bombs on them all the damn time. So the Marlins are mad. They've hit him five times in the last two years. The Marlins have hit – just to put that in perspective, Acuna has been hit 21 times in his career. Five of them have been from the Marlins. That that's some bullshit. So yeah, the the Braves are gonna be mad. Well, then you got dumbass Don Mattingly saying, "Well, he had a dirty slide into second base." Don, shut the hell up. Take your old ass home. That's how baseball used to pl- be played. It was a legal slide. Yeah, he spiked the shortstop, but grow a set, rub some dirt on it, and go out there and play some ball. All right. But to to the hey look look to the Miami Marlins. <laughs> Long, long, to the Miami Marlins. I was just gonna say, long story, long story short, y'all, y'all got the dub, y'all swept. We, so. we, we got the dub, but to the Marlins, get back in your lane. You weren't supposed to be there. Walk the damn plank. There and it then, is. and then one to uh to one of our faithful listeners, UNC fan, uh Miami Marlins faithful, Catherine Brinkley. We love you. This is the first, Artie. This is the first time I've ever done one or we've ever had anybody that's going to walk the plank that uh, we know personally. So, Catherine, just because you, you're you a Marlins fan, and I know that it's hard being a Marlins fan, but I want to make it just that much harder. Since you have a fandom for the Marlins, walk the damn plank. <laughs> Love you, Catherine. I'll, I'll make sure – she doesn't listen every week. I'll, I'll make sure to text her and let her know that she got a shout-out this week. She, I'm, I'm, I'm sure she's not losing any sleep over this. So, um, but, Artie, let's, let's go. I know, I know you got to get back to work. Let's. Uh, yeah, I got I got I got a couple more minutes, so. Let, let's let's break this thing down, this, these betting lines. Um, I, I, so, I pulled out four betting lines. The last one's going to be ECU at USF. Number uh, one, the University of Texas, El Paso. Goes mm-hmm. in. Goes into Louisiana or uh, yeah, Louisiana Tech this weekend, uh, a Conference USA matchup. Uh, right. La Tech is a 14 point favorite, uh, coached by former ECU and former USF coach Skip Holtz. 14, 14 point favorite, over under is 52. What, what, what say you? I, I, I say take the under. I, I still think La Tech wins Agreed. by double digits. I, I, I think they I think they win by double digits, but take the under. El Paso has never been a good football program. Uh, that's not going to change this weekend. So they're not putting up a lot of points. I take take the under in that one. Yeah, about a month ago, I had a bunch of so randomly, I had a bunch of UTEP fans in my mentions about a month ago because I I said something about how <laughs> UTEP has never really done anything. So yeah, uh, take La Tech. Uh, take. 
take the points, 14-point favorite. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to – you know, I'll, I'll say it'll be over because I, I think I think Louisiana Tech will they'll, – they'll, they'll beat them on offense and they'll, they'll probably come close – damn near close to covering that over on their own. Um, gotcha. ne- next game, an SEC matchup. Uh, number four, Florida goes on the road to Texas A&M. Uh, already, you got a 58 and a half point, uh, 58 and a half point over under, but number four, Florida is only a six and a half point favorite against an unranked Texas A&M. That's to me, that's complete disrespect to Florida. Take the over. There's going to be a lot of points scored in this game, but after watching what Alabama did to A&M last weekend, Florida is, is a juggernaut. I'm not saying that they are the juggernaut that Alabama is, they're going to be a and by a lot of points. This, this I don't see this game being close, but take the over. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking like a, a 48 to 24 kind of football game. Uh, I, I agree. Um, yeah, take take the over and Florida, Florida covers, and yeah, Florida covers. Florida will win <laughs> that game by. Florida will probably win that game by damn near three touchdowns. Yeah, um, probably. The, this game, this next game, is kind of surprising to me. Um, mm-hmm. Two two teams that we thought were really good coming into the season, but over the last couple of weeks, they've shown that maybe that wasn't the case. It's a Big 12 matchup. It's the uh, Red River rivalry. Big game. A huge game. Um, in, in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, number 22, Texas on the road at Oklahoma. Going in mm-hmm. and... and Oklahoma's trying to go in and, and snap this two-game losing streak. Um, but Oklahoma's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. That, that's right. om- that's almost one of those things where it's it's a wash and they give Oklahoma the the points because they're the home team. Um, the over-under is 72-and-a-half. Uh, take the over. I, I think at 72-and-a-half, two Big 12 teams that hate each other, take the over. Um, and I, I don't, the, the line on this game, I don't know. Uh, I, I want to think that Oklahoma is better than what they've shown in the last two weeks, but I also know Texas isn't that good. So I think, I do think tech Oklahoma wins this ball game. Um, and they win it by they Yeah. Take Oklahoma. Um, yeah, take take the over. There's there's always fireworks in this rivalry. It's always a great game. I, this this game isn't going to be a blowout. It's never a blowout. It's going to be close. Um, honestly, I disagree. I think Texas wins this game. I think I think I think Texas wins. I don't know how or why. I just feel like Texas is going to win. It's a rivalry game. You can never really say who's going to win either way. Um, Oklahoma, the, the winner of this game. Oddly enough, is still alive for the playoff, even though it's a long shot. But they are still alive. The loser's season is pretty much completely done. You mean um, to, but take the over. You mean to tell Texas. me? You mean to tell me if a number twenty-two team in Texas beats Oklahoma, or vice versa, an unranked Oklahoma team beats number twenty-two Texas, mm-hmm. they'll have a shot at the college football playoff. I said it's a long shot. But the SEC is going to beat each other up. There's only going to be one or two SEC teams in the in the end. So you mean there's to only tell going to be one? There's, a, there's only going to be one ACC team in in the end. It, the it, Big Ten hasn't played yet. So put, I said you, I said it's a long shot. 
all, all, all I'm going to say to that is if you put a two-loss Oklahoma team, a team that lost to who, – who did they lose to? They lost to Kansas State, and last week they lost uh, – who did they lose to last week? Um, I, I, can't, I can't remember. But they have two losses. They can't do that. Don't put Oklahoma in that shit. You, that, <laughs> that just even discredits the college football playoff. Even more, don't do that shit. I don't want to see it. Um, but but let's close it out, Artie. Uh, ECU on the road in Tampa at South Florida. This is the one all the people have been waiting for. They've been waiting the whole the whole podcast for this. USF is a four and a half point favorite. The over under is fifty five. Artie, mm-hmm. um, I, I think earlier you talked about. I think you you would say probably take the over, right? I would I would say take the over. If I had to give my final prediction for this game, I think 31 ECU, 27 UCF or USF. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, but I I I say take the over. Um, it's gonna I, I think it's gonna be a close game, and I think I think points are gonna be scored late. You're not gonna see points scored early. I think I think you'll see points scored late. Okay. And then, who, who wins? Who who covers the spread? You said who wins? Yeah, who wins? Oh, ECU wins. Come on, ECU baby. Wins. You thought I was gonna pick South Florida? Come on now. We could be we could be oh eight oh and eight. I'm gonna pick a ECU victory. Hmm. Maybe not. Yeah. I might I might be lying to myself. Take take <laughs> take the over. Um USF's a four and a half point favorite. Yeah. I gotta think Coach Houston's probably lit a fire under this team's ass. After losing to a Georgia State team, a Sun Belt team, that shouldn't happen. Um, I'm not saying the Sun Belt's bad, but the Sun Belt shouldn't be beating an American Conference team. Um, yeah, ECU wins this game. Um, they win it by a field goal. So I'm going to say they, they win it 41 38. Okay. That, that's going to be the score. And just like you said, I think ECU wins the game. Or I think there's a lot of scoring late. But, Artie, I, I know you got to get back to work. Um, yes, sir. I'll, I'll be posting this thing probably first thing in the morning once once I get all the audio edited. And then uh, we'll go from there. But, hey, man, we'll, I'll, I'll see you Saturday after the game. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll do our post-game recap then, okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Stay safe, Pirate Nation, until Saturday. Yeah, Pirate Nation. Have a good rest of your week. And we'll talk to you Saturday after hopefully the first An ECU victory. The first ECU dub of the season. All right, Pirate Nation. Peace out. We out.